Hello, thank you for listening to this sermon from our Revive service. We hope it helps you learn more about God and allow you to grow closer to Him and in your faith. Well, Happy New Year. Good to see all of you here this morning. Thanks for joining us as we worship our awesome God. Today we start a new series, and uh, I'm trying something different. I'll just tell you straight up, okay? I'm not even going to try to hide it. I'm trying to go digital, all right? So usually I have a notepad up here that has all my notes, and I have this great tool, and I feel like I'm not a good steward if I don't use it. So since I'm preaching on stewardship, so if things don't go well this morning, that's the reason why. It's not because I failed, but it's because of this electronic device. We start a four-week series today um, entitled Faith-Driven Stewardship. And I just want to encourage you as we walk through this, please don't don't immediately put up your guards and think that, oh, here we go, another pastor, another preacher talking about money. Uh, And actually, we're not even going to talk about money today. And uh, in my my desire to be a good pastor, uh, I'm going to start every sermon. Uh, this month with a word that starts with the letter S because that's what pastors do, right? Good pastors are able to bring and put um, um, the same word or the same letter as the starting of each week. Um, I'm just joking. Some of you are like staring at me like, what are you talking about? Uh, I just want to bring the word to you this morning. And as we walk through this, um, today we're going to talk about a scrutinized life. And this is a term when I was looking for an S term, because there's a couple that it was really hard not to use the S word for those, like next week's going to be self-control for all of you who want to miss and say you were sick. It's okay because self-control is really difficult. But when we look at this word scrutinize, it, it, it is often a term that we use when somebody is doing it to us, or oftentimes um, it may be something that, uh, that, it's funny. I still had to write myself a note. Um, it, it's something that we do to other people. And so when we start here this morning, let me encourage you right where you sit that you would determine that you would not be scrutinizing anyone else here this morning but yourself. Okay? So it, I don't know. It, it's easier for me to think about other people. Um, There's a lot of scrutiny that I can give towards other people. But this morning, I want to encourage you to look at your life. Don't look at your spouse. Don't look at your children. Don't look at your parents. Don't look at your friend or that one who just hurt you or anything like that. I want you to this morning to look at your life. And this term scrutinized means to examine closely. To examine closely. So it's almost like you have this microscope, right? And you have this microscope and underneath that microscope, you're going to be um, looking and examining and something is going to come to light. You're going to see the details of it. And so this morning, I want to encourage you as you think about examining your heart, as you examine your life, that you would look at it closely. I think a lot of times we... We, we don't examine ourselves um, until we mess up bad, right? And then we all of a sudden say, how, how did I get here? Or why did I do that? Um, 
oftentimes we can go a period of time without examining or scrutinizing ourselves. And so this morning, as we think about um, stewardship and that faith-driven stewardship, I truly believe we have to start here. We have to start with examining and looking at where, where am I? Where is my condition today? What does that look like? And being honest with God and being honest with ourselves. And so as we, we look at this, again, we, we ultimately, we, we don't examine ourselves enough, at least for some. There's others that are highly critical of yourself, all right? I fall into that boat sometimes in some cases, but in other cases, I fail to examine other parts of my life. And so I'm not asking you to be overly critical of your heart. But as we dig into the word and as we look at a few texts this morning, it is very biblical for us to examine or, as I'm sharing here this morning, to scrutinize our life, to look at it, to closely examine it. And so I, I want to ask you if you would do that uh, with me this morning. Um, while crisis examination is better than no examination at all, a good and faithful steward will be performing routine self-examinations as part of your daily life, all right? You think about that with your health. A routine self-examination is good, all right? It's a healthy thing. How do I feel? How are, how are things going? We need to do that in our spiritual walk with the Lord as well. So if you have your Bibles, would you turn with me? I want to start this morning in 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 5. You know, there's some messages that, uh, that are fantastic. Well, they're all fantastic to share because it's whatever God wants me to share. But um, there are some that come a little easier. Those are the happy ones, right? Those are the ones that I just stand up here and as a coach, I just cheer you on and say, hey, keep it up. Then there's other ones like this today that I kind of like when I'm preparing during the week, I kind of dread. Not that I dread it, but it's like, do you like to get bad news? I mean, I don't like getting bad news. Uh, I know it's helpful at times, but I don't want to be told, maybe this is the problem. I don't want to be told that I've done something wrong. So when we're looking at this this morning, and you're examining your life, and you see a God who has given us his word, and he's given us parameters, but he's also given us his grace and his love and his mercy and his forgiveness. I want us to be reminded that it is critical and important that we don't just run to grace and mercy and forgiveness and love without just without examining ourselves or scrutinizing ourselves. We have to scrutinize ourselves. We have to come and say, who am I really? Because when I come to that realization of who I am, it makes God's love and forgiveness and joy and grace all that much more special. It's kind of like when we celebrate Easter, right? If you just walk in Sunday morning for Easter, it's a great celebration. But what makes that Sunday morning Easter celebration even more special is that Monday, Thursday service that remembers what took place on that Good Friday. The beating, the scourging, the trial that Jesus went through where he literally didn't say anything to his accusers, 
but he allowed them to continue to persecute him and beat him. And he went to the cross and he died. And that's what makes Sunday morning so special and so much greater because here we have a God who, who went through all of that for us and we get to celebrate that. So this morning, don't just run while that's critical and important. We, we know God will forgive us. We know his mercy is new every morning. We know his grace is, is abundant. This morning, though, we, we need to look and we need to scrutinize our life. I think you get it by now. I've killed the horse. 2 Corinthians chapter 13. Paul leads up to this, and we're going to look at verse 5 um, here. But he leads up to this where he's telling them, I'm coming to you now for a third time. For those of you who have children, you know what it's like to say something three times, okay? So here's Paul, not just once, not just twice, but now a third time he's coming to them. And different times for different reasons, but Paul's coming to them, to, to the Corinthian believers, and he's trying to uh, help encourage them as they walk in faith, as they walk with, with their God. And in doing that, he says in verse 2, listen, I'm warning you, those who sinned, all right, I've warned those who sinned, knock it off, is essentially what he's saying in the Aaron Varner translation, okay? He, he's saying, listen, I, I warned those who sinned before and all the others, I warn them now while I'm not there. I'm telling you, stop it. That's not the way we live. But he says this in verse 5, examine yourself to see whether you are in the faith, test yourself. And so that's what we want to do this morning. I want you to examine yourself. How do we do that? Well, I want you to stop and I want you to say right now, is there anything that you know that, you, that you're not oblivious to, but that you know that you've sinned against God? And examining that, knowing that, what are you going to do with it? So you've gossiped or you cheated or you thought a bad thought. What do you do with that? And examining that, you realize that. I think sometimes that's the easiest but yet the most difficult sin to address. I know what I did. I know I said something that I should not have said, and yet I sit here guilty. And so examining, scrutinizing myself, what do I do with that? Paul says here, examine yourself to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourself. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless you indeed, you fail to meet the test? He's saying, listen, if you know Jesus Christ and you're testing yourself, you're going to see your faith is real. And when you don't line up to that, ultimately you feel convicted. And in that conviction, what do you do with it? What do you do with that conviction? We're going to talk about that in a moment. There is two different types of sin. I remember thinking about this and, and being taught this in, in uh, college. There's the sin of commission. All right, something that I should not have done. All right, and then there's the sin of omission, something that I should have done. And sometimes those are difficult to be able to pull out. 
okay, I should have done this for this person and I didn't, or I should have done this because God calls me to do it. Isaac this morning walked in obedience to God because God calls us to baptism. And so he did not commit a sin of omission, right? He didn't commit a sin at all, but if he would have sat there and God convicted him and said, hey, Isaac, I want you to be baptized. I'm telling you through the word of God, Isaac, you need to be baptized. And he just sat there and he didn't do it. That's the sin of omission, all right? But Isaac didn't do that. He obeyed God. And so as you look and examine your life, are, is there sin of omission? Things that God is calling you to do that you are not doing. Sometimes that requires us to live lives of faith. That's why this is faith-driven stewardship. Because sometimes God de desires to pull us out of where we're comfortable and be obedient to him even though we can't see it all. And so that sin of commission, I'm committing this sin, and the sin of omission, I'm not doing this, but God calls me to do it, both are sins against God. We need to examine ourselves, to test ourselves. Flip over to the first book that Paul writes to the church in Corinth, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we see in verse 28 here, the context that we often use, and we used it last week, that we use in our communion, right? Where we gather together to worship God and to remember his death, burial, and resurrection. Paul's writing to the church what he received from the Lord Jesus. And ultimately in doing that, he shares about the bread and the broken body, and he talks about the juice, which represents his shed blood. But notice this in, in, in verse 28. He says, let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Every time we come and take and participate in communion, we're, we're called to do this. We're called to scrutinize our lives. To examine them and to say, how is my life representing Jesus Christ? If I say that I believe him, if I say that I trust him, if I believe his word is true and, and it's holy and it's right, how is my life reflecting that? And when I examine my life and I'm honest, there are parts of my life that don't line up with that. And so I come to you and I ask you again, what do you do with that? Do you just feel bad? Do you mourn over that? Do you not care? Do you say on Sunday morning, I'll make it right, but then not the rest of the day and the rest of the week, you go living however you want to live. The call is not just for us just to say a few words in a prayer where we say we're sorry for doing something wrong. The call is for us to live lives that are de devoted and committed to living a certain way. Why? So that we could earn the favor of God? Certainly not. We already have all the love of God that we'll ever have. And so doing good things, doing the right things, doesn't earn more of God's love. We already have all of that. But what it does is as we are obedient with him, he does bless us. And in those blessings, he continues to show his goodness. We are blessed because we walk obediently with him because he allows us to walk with him. And so in that, 
that obedience is critical and important because aside from that, and we're going to look at this in the Old Testament passage here in just a moment, when we don't walk obediently with God, there are consequences. I won't ask you to raise your hand, but those of you who have ever sinned have probably had to deal with a consequence of a sin. Amen? Some of you, half of you, okay? Half of you have dealt with the consequence of your sin. We all have, right? Let's be honest. And some consequences are worse than other consequences. Ultimately, the consequence that if we continue to sin, it leads to what I believe the Bible tells us is death. All right? Not death separating us from God forever, but God will not be mocked. And there are times, and Paul says it here in our passage, there are some who did not scrutinize their life, but came and continued to partake in an unworthy way of the Lord's Supper. And so in that failure to examine and scrutinize their life, they continued to live a life that was contrary to the way that God desired. And so what did that lead them to? That led them to sleeping. Now, this isn't just, I'm going to sleep in. This is death, okay? Their body fell asleep. They died. We don't want to think about that today because it, it, whether it freaks us out or we, we, we just, it's hard to imagine, right? Why would we ever want to say, man, I think that person died because they didn't deal with their sin. Well, first, we shouldn't say that because that's not kind. Second of all, we're not the judge. Okay, there is one judge but when we look at our lives, we need to take sin seriously. Do you take sin seriously in your life? The truth is nobody else can deal with it but you. You have to deal with it. You have to scrutinize your life. Now turn over with me to the book of Lamentations, if you would, please. It's after the book of Jeremiah, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and then Lamentations chapter 3. And oftentimes we'll quote or you've heard uh, about verses 21 through 29 about the hope that's found, um, the, the mercies that never come to an end that we read in verse 22 and 23. But I want to draw your attention down a little bit farther um, to, to our text there in verses 38 through 40. Verses 38 through 40, it says this, Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that good and bad come? Again, let me pause there for a minute as we talk theology just for a moment. Can, can God do anything that is sinful? The answer is, okay. You pass that first test. That's good. God cannot sin, nor can he do anything that is not perfect. Everything that he does is right. Always. 100% of the time. Not 99%. Not 99.5 like Purell. 100% of the time, all the time, God does and is right. That should give us great confidence. That should boost our confidence in him, our trust in him, our reliance upon him. 
But it should also cause us to pause because you and I, are you 100% right all the time? If you're married, you definitely aren't. And you know it. We're not. So Jeremiah is writing here. And he says good and bad. But don't get confused here that all of a sudden God is doing bad things. God doesn't do bad things. All right? Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that good and bad come? Meaning... God brings good and bad on our lives. It's not bad according to him. When you look at the life of those who followed Jesus, there were bad things that transpired and took place in their life, right? Did that come from God? Some of it did. Some of it was their own doing, but God allowed it. Remember, if you believe that God is a sovereign God, he is in charge and control of all things. Not just 90% of the things, not 95% of the things, but all things. In that sovereignty of being in charge of all things, he does allow bad things to take place. That's why we often question when bad things happen, is there a God? Our, our world will ask that question over and over and over again. Why does God, if there is a God, a loving God, why does he allow bad things to take place? Well, it's not because he's bad. It's not because he's vengeful. It's because he is right and perfect. And he has a desire in his sovereignty for the world to know who he is and to trust him and acknowledge him as Lord and as Jesus as Savior. This good and bad, when we look at it in our lives, Sometimes God allows, and we talked about this in our Logos class, which I'm going to put another plug here. If you missed it this morning, you missed a great lesson, not because of me, but because of the class. It was a really good class. Come join us, 9 o'clock in the gym. Get your coffee before 845. Don't be late. The good and the bad, the testing that happens in our life, sometimes you get tests. We get trials. Oftentimes that is viewed as something bad. Look at the life of Job. When you start to read the story of Job, do you call that good? Those good things that happened to him where he lost his children, he lost all of his livestock, he lost everything that he had except for a wife. He even lost his health. Was that all good? No, that's trials, that's bad, that's hardship. But even in this, the call that Jeremiah is giving to us is to look at, is it not from the mouth of the Most High, who is sovereign and control and sees all things? He is the one who we look to. The next verse, verse 39. Why should a living man complain a man about the punishment of his sins? Why should you and I, when we start to examine our life, when we scrutinize ourselves, where does it fall that we should complain about our sin or the consequences of our sin? Have you ever done that? I do. God, why are you allowing this? And then when I examine and scrutinize my life, I'm like, it's because I said this or because I did this or because I messed up. I failed to miss the mark. 
but oftentimes we'll blame God. Again, if God is right and true and holy, distinct from any other thing, and we realize that we are not, why do we get upset at a God who, when he looks at us and tests us and allows trials in our life, why do we complain? Why do we get upset? Don't you and I deserve that? Well, what we deserve, we see in the New Testament, what we deserve is an eternal separation from God forever. You and I deserve a real place in hell. That's where what we deserve. And we think, oh, I'm not that bad. We forget. And sometimes the longer that we live as Christians, the, the more we get away from that, that the beauty and the energy and the excitement of that salvation time of where we place our faith in Jesus don't miss sight of this today. As you examine and scrutinize your life, you and I, we deserve eternity in hell because we were enemies of God. That's what we deserve. Why should a living man complain? A dead man can't complain. Why? Because he's dead. So if God hasn't killed you yet for your sin, why are you complaining? Verse 40. Let us test and examine our ways and return to the Lord. This is Jeremiah calling the nation of Israel to come and repent and turn back to God. Look at what you've done, he's calling to them. This morning, I'm asking us and I'm pleading with us. And, and don't get me wrong. I, I, don't, I don't see great abundance of sin amongst you, you folks. It's not that I, there's something hidden that I'm trying to draw out. I don't know your heart. I, I don't know your motives. I can see you. I can see evidences of it. But I know this. I know me. And I know I'm a sinner. And I know I need to examine my life. I need to scrutinize it each and every day. Why? Because I don't want to fall away from God. I don't want to have happened what happened to Israel. I don't, want, I don't want to miss that great calling when I stand before God where he says to you, well done, good and faithful servant. I don't want to live just life the way... I want to live it because why I'm crucified with Christ. Therefore, I no longer live in the life I now live. I live by faith in Jesus, in the one who ultimately gave his life for me. Is that you? As you scrutinize your life, can, can you say that this morning? That you're living life and desiring no matter what it looks like to be walking in obedience with him. Because the reality is, as we look at stewardship, Stewardship is a realization that you and I own nothing. We are God's stewards. We're not owners. We're stewards. And so how we view stewardship is critical and important to how we make every decision every day. 1 John gives us a glimpse of sin. And he defines it, John helps us with this, when he says it's the lust of the flesh, it's the lust of the eyes, it's the pride of life. 
I'm not going to go into each one of those and examine them this morning, but I encourage you as you scrutinize your life, is there sin in those categories that you haven't dealt with, that you need to deal with this morning, that you need to confess to God and you need to repent and turn from it? Turn with me now to Romans chapter 8. If you would, please. Romans chapter 8. Verses 12 through 14. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ. Paul says this. Romans chapter 8. Verse 12. So then, brothers, we are debtors. Not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will, what's the word there? Die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. God calls us not to live according to our flesh. I want to challenge you here this morning. As you scrutinize your life, as you think about a faith-driven stewardship life, are you living according to your flesh and your desires of the flesh, or are you living according to the spirit, the spirit of the living God? You can't live by the spirit of the living God without meeting with God, without communing with him. Without knowing his heart. Coming to the buffet once a week will not supply you with enough food for the whole week. Right? Well, I probably could get away with it for one week. But you know what I mean. It does not give you the nourishment. Some of us do that. Some of us come to the word of God once a week. And we expect that to help us to live a life live by the spirit. And the truth is we can't do that. As we scrutinize our life and examine it, what's your walk with Jesus look like? Not only is the sin, what sin is there that you need to repent and turn from, but what keeps us from sin? You know what keeps us from sin? This right here. This word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. This is what I need to study. This is what I need to read. This is what I need to be in. Not because it's just a great book, but because it's an alive and active word of God. It's God speaking through it to me, through his spirit, revealing his desires for my life. So often we come looking for that one aha moment. But oftentimes God works best in our life when we continually, habitually make this a priority. When we make this a priority. Fellowshipping, encouraging, sharpening one another. Paul says, listen, don't live according to the flesh. John says, don't live according to the flesh. We need to live by the spirit. Why? 
Because 1 John 2, verse 17 says, so that we may do the will of God. Do you want to do the will of God? I'll ask that one more time. You can answer if you'd like to, okay? Do you want to do the will of God? Now you know you're not alone. Sometimes we feel like we're the only ones doing, trying to do the right things. And that's why we'll start scrutinizing other people. Don't do that. Socrates said this, an unexamined life is not worth living. It's interesting as we think about examining, scrutinizing our life. So if stewardship, I close with this question, if stewardship affects every decision that you make, and we'll talk more about stewardship as we go throughout this, this month, but if stewardship, viewing my life as God's steward, affects every decision that I make, how does the word scrutinize describe my life? How does it for you? I want to give you a moment here in the quietness and the pause of the craziness of our world. There's responsibilities. We all have that. But would you right now, where you're at, would you just spend some time with the Lord? Would you spend two minutes? And then I'll close this in a word of prayer. Would you examine as you examine, scrutinize your own heart and life? Would you talk to God? Reveal to him what he already knows, but he wants to hear it from us. And in that way, if that fellowship has been broken, ask God to restore it. And in restoring that, ask him to help you and devise a plan of what that means as you walk by the spirit and not the flesh. So spend two minutes, if you would, right where you're at. Would you just bow and spend time scrutinizing your life before the Lord?
Lord, we thank you for being our God. I'm thankful, Lord, that we can come into your presence because of the sacrificial blood of Jesus that was poured out upon the cross when he died in our place. Thank you for his death, his burial, his resurrection that we celebrate. Thank you for that picture of our life that we die to ourself in order to gain that eternal life when we place our faith and trust in Jesus. Lord, we are sinful people. We fall short of your perfect standard. We confess, Lord, of that sin. And I'll pray, Lord, that we continue to name our sins before you, acknowledging them. Thank you, Lord, for the forgiveness that you give to us. For the grace that we don't deserve. I'm thankful, Lord, that when we come into your presence, it's like a soothing balm. It heals us. And yet so often we fight that because of our pride, our arrogance, our own desires of selfishness. Or sometimes, Lord, we feel like we're unworthy. Thank you, Lord, that we are worthy because you call us your children. As we scrutinize our lives, Lord, I pray that it wouldn't just be a one-time moment where we pause and examine them and confess our sin and repent and turn from it. But that we'll do what many of our great forefathers who have gone before us did. They kept short lists. Meaning they dealt with their sin each day. And I pray that we would be people who would do that. That when we lay our head on our pillow before we do. That we will scrutinize our day. And in the places where we have fallen short of your perfect standard, that we would humble ourselves, acknowledging who you are, acknowledging who we are, and our short-sightedness, and asking for your forgiveness, and pleading for your mercy. And Lord, I'm thankful that when we do that, you are always faithful. You are faithful to forgive, forgive us of our sin. And to cleanse us from all of our unrighteousness. We don't deserve that. We don't deserve to be called your stewards. So as we live today and the week ahead, Lord, 
I pray that you would help us continually to walk with you. You'd help us to be in your word, to set that as a priority of our life. That we wouldn't allow other things to push it to the side, but that we would know how critical and important it is if we're going to live a life according to the spirit, that we study your word each day. That we spend time with you each day. So help us to build that. Not just a habit. It is more than a habit. Help us to build that relationship with you. Lord, as the hymn that we looked at last week said, and we see it again here. Oh, to grace, how great a debtor daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy goodness, like a fetter, bind my wandering heart to thee. Lord, thank you for your grace. Help us as we live this year ahead to continue to scrutinize our own lives, to examine them closely. And as we do, may you continue to reveal to us what your perfect and good will is. We are excited to see what that looks like. Thank you, Lord, for loving us. Thank you for caring for our every need. Thank you that we can come together as a people to worship and to proclaim your goodness. We love you and we ask and plead for your help. And we thank you for the spirit who resides in each of your children that you've given us to help us and to guide us and direct us. Help us to listen to the spirit. As we leave, we ask for your blessing. Lord, not because we deserve it, but because we know how critical it is in order to live each day. Your blessing is what we need, Lord. And so we ask for it. I ask for it for these people who are here and those who are watching online. May your hand bless us and guide us and direct us as we walk with you. We love you, Lord. We pray this in the name of Jesus. All of God's people said, amen. God's blessing on you.